Hey, everyone. I'm Manoush Zamarodi, and last week we had a very special series called No Filter. We did it in collaboration with New York Magazine's The Cut. Every day, a conversation looking at how women of all different ages own it online. And today, a final conversation, one to help us think about the future and how we make sure that women, all kinds of women, are heard and visible on the internet. And oddly, GIFs, GIFs, however you pronounce it, um, those little tiny looping videos are actually the perfect way to explain what we mean by making all women visible. Because if you are a GIF or GIF user, when you find the perfect one, it is so satisfying. And it just may be because of the work of this woman. My name is Jasmine Lawson. I am 26 years old. And I was previously the culture editor at Giphy. And now I'm going to be doing social media at Netflix. I just love to be kind to, like, the few people who are listening who are yeah. like, what the heck is Giphy? What's a GIF? So... Giphy is the world's largest search engine for GIFs. So a GIF is just an animated image that loops over and over, normally between two and six seconds. And you can make a GIF out of almost anything, but most GIFs come from pop culture. And now there's almost a GIF of everything that you can think of, from Cardi B to Beyonce to Trump. The world really moves in this way of short images, and Giphy is the leader in that environment. And how does one become a culture editor at Giphy? I was hired as just a general editor, but as I was looking through our library of content, for me, especially specifically as a Black girl, I just realized there were so many other images that I wanted to see myself, especially of Black women that I love and admire, that I knew were gift-worthy. So I worked with uh, our studios team out in L.A. to just start making more gifts and adding it to our library. We already had a good amount of lots of different types of gifts, but, you know, when it comes to this thing called diversity and inclusion, there's no such thing as doing too much. So I added even more, selfishly enough, starting with Black women. And then I expanded going on to the Latinx community, the Asian community. And I just kept doing it and doing it so much that I decided to ask if this could be my deliberate job at the company. Can you give me an example of like that, like somebody went to look for something and they couldn't find something that spoke to them? Just give me a couple examples, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I mean, most people search based on emotion and behavior. So most people are going to search for I love you or sad or hungry. And a lot of those results are going to be populated with a lot of pop culture content. You're going to have a lot of gifts of, you know, Lauren Conrad from The Hills and Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake and Leonardo DiCaprio and a lot of our big celebrity names out there, even like Beyonce or Nicki Minaj and Rihanna, those people that are really, really popular in pop culture and media. But for me, I was looking at it in a different lens, specifically providing access and opportunity for other types of people to be really granular because just having, you know, Beyonce and Rihanna and Nicki Minaj is not enough to say you're representing Black women. 
women. I wanted to make sure that when you're looking through all of these results, especially if you were looking for something as deliberate as Black Girl on Giphy, that you saw an array of diversity even within that group of people, Mm -hmm. that you saw dark-skinned women, light-skinned women, heavyset trans women. People would notice it as I started to add stuff to the library. People would start seeing different results, and it would pop up on my social media feeds, and I kind of knew that I played a role in helping people make media decisions or using the gifts that they chose for representation of themselves because most times the gifts are an extension of ourselves. I mean, Jasmine, that's kind of huge. Like, you're changing the very fabric, the culture of the way people see each other, the way they talk about each other. That's pretty significant. Thank you. Whenever I see a GIF, it's usually very positive, usually, or it adds levity. Even if it's a sad emotion, it kind of makes you laugh in some way. When I was reading to get ready for this interview, I came across a Teen Vogue article that was called, We Need to Talk About Digital Blackface in Reaction to GIFs. Can you tell us what it is and explain what the issue is? Yeah, basically, it's the idea that a lot of the popular culture on almost every level comes from Black media. And so almost every type of consumer is using that content, but people aren't necessarily conscious about the ways that they're using it. So, for example, you'll have a lot of exhaust of people using people like NeNe Leakes from Real Housewives of Atlanta (laughs) or, you know, Oprah Winfrey. And it's just like an, an ever exhaustion of using that type of media over and over again to represent your internet self. And so it gets really blurred when you see these images of certain people being exhausted to a level that people might not be conscious enough of the way that they're using them. Um, And are you using them in a way that might be kind of similar to what blackface was back in the day where, you know, white actors would put on actual black makeup and black face and perpetuate stereotypes about the black community. The answer isn't to get rid of those gifts and for people not to use them. But where's the balance in between? Where is the extension of representation? Who else is missing from the conversation and who else gets to represent us? Because that can't be the only image. It's really hard for a company like Giphy to control the way people use the media once it leaves our platform. But what we can do is have someone like me and an editorial team involved to make sure that the images that are on our platform are multidimensional and have layers to them. I mean, that's a really, really nuanced way to talk about what people think of as a a pretty basic way of communicating with gifts. Yes. Yes. What would you say to like a teenager who's like, what are you even talking about? Nene's funny and I like the face she made in this picture. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I really don't know what I would say to, to a teenager like that. Um, so these days, my patience is very thin. <laughs> can, can we talk a little more about why your patience is so thin? Oh, my gosh. Why? Well, I mean, naturally, I have anxiety. And so my anxiety is always on high. And I think for me, I'm super, super passionate about a lot of things. At the forefront of those lot of things are women and black women in particular. And I'm super, super passionate about protecting us and and also making us feel visible at the same time. And that can really wear you down and exhaust you. That type of passion can take a lot out of you, especially when you're trying to do work that is important, work that has purpose. So I've had to, over the past few years, be very picky where the moments I choose to teach and then the moments I choose to just, you know, not exhaust myself, to, you know, realize that 
to be both the oppressed and have to teach the oppressor in so many ways is a job that I don't think any of us should sign up for. So it is very hard. I mean, take self-care is like my biggest thing in life. <laughs> what does that look like in your own personal presence online? Maybe like two, three years ago, I would be one of those women on Twitter that had a rant about everything, especially around the time around Ferguson and the uprising of Black Lives Matter. Just my emotions were on high a lot. And I realized that was draining me a lot. To date, I probably have around 600 people blocked on Twitter. And I think the (laughs) 500 of them are from like the year 2014 because I was so irate. Now I realize, like, I'm word to Solange, we have a lot to be mad about. And those were really great emotions for me to have, like, just to not be fearful of the stereotype of being an angry Black woman. But I think it's progressed over the few years where I've been very particular in which conversations I want to engage in and where I feel that my voice is being useful and that someone's actually listening. Okay, in a minute, more with Jasmine. We're going to talk trolls and DMs. So if I were to look at your social media feeds now, which I have, by the way, but just for those who haven't, (laughs) what do you think that someone sees? I mean, you're going to see a lot of commentary on This Is Us and Mm -hmm. Sterling K. Brown and his amazingness talks about my terrible dating life. And then, of course, there's going to be a sprinkle in of, you know, time's up. There's something beautiful that, you know, in an Instagram feed, you can, through image, have a lot of nuance and beauty and all of those things. But how do you begin to take all that nuance that you pack into your feed and translate it into real life? Well, for me, that's probably one thing that I struggle with a lot on social media is the perception that other people have on me based on how I've curated myself. Mm. Okay, so I've curated what I want you to know about me on these feeds. You can't put your whole entire life on there. Like, that's crazy to me. I might not share with you that, like, my student loan bills just went up. I might share that, but, you know, um, (laughs) I don't necessarily want to share that, like, how much I'm paying a month. Um, And I've realized that that can falter a false perception in other people about you. People think you're so popping and your life's so great. Like, as just a person, I still have so many insecurities that I walk around with on a daily basis. And all of that isn't necessarily professed on social media. And so I've had to learn to apply that to everyone else. Like, my queen of my life is Beyonce. And you'll look at how she has a team that curates, you know, her Instagram feed and makes all of these wonderful graphics for her. But, like, if you paid attention to her life in the past three years, you've known that she's dealt with so much in terms of infidelity and miscarriages and really, really hard stuff that she's probably never talked about publicly. I think that's how I try to navigate social media is to just realize that, you know, hey, everyone is not posting everything. (laughs) So take it with a grain of salt and to, you know, not take it so seriously. And that's their prerogative, too. Yeah, exactly. Part of me thinks, like, Beyonce should be posting that other stuff because, I don't know, it might be helpful to other people to understand that even the queen is going through it. But on the other hand, I'm like, you know what? Good for her. Privacy is privacy. 
Right, exactly. And also, I mean, when you become someone that people know on social media and not just an active user, I've realized how much I like to hold on to the things that are my actual life, Mm. my actual friends and people who know me offline better than they know me online. Those things become so much more valuable in that way than they ever were before. When I say this, I worry that I'm going to sound like a wistful, middle-aged person, the one that I am, um, which is Mm -hmm. that, like, I, when I was 26, I just don't think I would have had such clarity about my purpose or message or the way that I was presenting myself to people or what effect I could have on people. But you just nail every single answer in a way that I never would have had my wits about me in my mid-20s. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I think the Internet has been something that's been a part of my life for a very long time. I got my first computer maybe— I had to have been in the first grade that my mom got a computer in our house. So this is 1997. Um, And then we probably got AOL Internet around the time I was in fourth or fifth grade. And so I've been growing up with the Internet for almost over 20 years now. And I was always very active in everything that was like the Internet thing at the moment. So whether it was Zanga or Black Planet, and then I was heavy on MySpace and would spend all my weekends like making a killer MySpace page and being active with my friends and curating my top eight. And then before I got to college, I signed up for Facebook for the first time. And this is 2008, and it's like the era of Barack Obama's the first black president. It's just a very exciting time to be on Facebook. Mm. I remember I met so many people before I got to college through Facebook, just through groups. Like, I already knew people before I even laid foot on campus. And then Twitter, of course, has just been a big part of my professional life since college as well. I would say Twitter has been the biggest, you know, platform for not just me, but a lot of marginalized people to be able to provide access for themselves. It is, like almost every other space, very dangerous. I mean, being on the internet comes with a lot. There's a lot of trolls. There's a lot of, you know, safety guidelines that almost all of these companies are trying to work out. But it is also very empowering. I've been able to really talk about my work shamelessly, um, things that I think are important. I have a lot of people who I consider, you know, online mentors, people I don't necessarily know in real life, but I can visually follow their career and the things that they're doing and get inspired by them. And it's been such a great tool that I don't think that so many of our other traditional places have allowed for a lot of people, especially minorities and women, to be able to, you know, give themselves access. I think that's what we're all been asking for for so long is access and opportunity. And platforms like Twitter have definitely allowed us to say, hey, um, you're ignoring all of this. I mean, you've seen the success of like something like Black Panther over the past few weeks. But there's so many people close to me who work in the media industry in terms of writing stories or taking photos or have other careers that they've been able to use this moment of Black Panther to further their own, you know, career. Like, I have friends who've been able to say, hey, how about, you know, you have a Black girl write this article for The Hollywood Reporter or for Vanity Fair and, you know, provide access and opportunity long past, you know, the things so direct to the film. Um, And so that's been amazing. And I've seen all of that happen just straight off of Twitter. Um, and through DMs. DMs are more than just, you know, for hookups, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> DMs have been amazing for opportunities. <laughs> it's true, actually. I've had people get in touch with me and just 
because I was in their face on Twitter, and so I wasn't invisible. Yes, exactly. It has really allowed the invisible to feel visible, for sure. You're going to make me cry. I love the internet today, having spoken to you, Jasmine. Oh. No, really, yes. like, you just, like, today I love you, internet, and but then tomorrow I know <laughs> it's going to happen. Like, yes. Facebook's going to do something stupid, and, you <laughs> Well, know. I stay off Facebook <laughs> Really? Of that, All yes. done? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm on Facebook, especially for, you know, aunts and cousins and high school friends, but I definitely try to avoid any of the, the conversations about anything. <laughs> Jasmine Lawson, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. You guys, that's it. That's the end of our series called No Filter. Um, I'm kind of sad. I really love this series. Um, By the way, in your feed today is also our wrap-up with The Cuts, Editor-in-Chief Stella Bugby, and listener voices and stories, plus some news about Note to Self, the podcast. Um, Go listen to it. If you missed any of these series, do go back. Treat yourself. Treat yourself is really how I should say it. You go treat yourself to conversations with software engineer Erica Joy Baker, YouTube star Lele Pond, Lele, um, actor Trace Lissette, who made me cry, painter Amy Sherald, who's just so inspiring, and my personal hero, war correspondent Christiane Amanpour, plus Barbara Kruger, who, like, your life is not complete if you have not heard <laughs> that conversation. All sharing how they own it. I have really loved every minute of this series. I, I hope you have too. I think you have. Some Many of you have. If you want to hang out with me some more, I would love to see you on the internets. I am Manoush Z on Twitter and Instagram. I've also got a little personal newsletter going on. I don't do it very often, but I don't know. Maybe I should start doing more. You can find that at ManoushZ.com sign up because once in a while you'll get a little update from me where I am what I'm thinking about because boy did this series give me a lot to think about yeah the note to self team is Jen Point, Kat Aaron Megan Cunane and Joe Plord many thanks to Justine Daum Keegan Zima Ernie Indradat and Anya Zuzik for their help producing this special series it really does take a lot of people to make this stuff happen. So a special thank you to um, all the WNYC staff who were so supportive of our endeavor here. Hannes Brown composed the music for No Filter. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. Oh my god, yesterday I went crazy with Minion Jeff's gifts. And a banana. What? <laughs> hey, 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 hey.